What's going on everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Dad's Game Podcast. This is Awesome Hazelnuts. And boys, we are finally in a meta where tons of decks are being played. Ezreal Kama is back. Heimervai has yet to be seen. Players are gushing around about Silver. It seems to me that the Silver meta has really taken all over its head because wherever I look at look around me, it is Silver with LeBlanc. It is silver with Zed, silver with Renekton, silver with anything under the sun. Because it has finally took a long time for players to realize that special keywords on silver, and adding the fact that silver got buffed, really makes this archetype go a whole new level. Reputation has not been spammed that much until today. A lot of players are finally realizing that silver is a pretty good champ after all. If you were to ask me whether the, the buff to it, having its level up condition going from 35 damage to 30 is the big reason why people are playing Silver, I can tell you that 90% of it is true. If Silver didn't get buffed, you'll probably never see this meta change at all. Because when you think about it, right, the 35 damage is the equivalent of one more turn of Silver attacking. Because if you look at the way that the Silver deck is being built, we have 5 damage cards, we have 2 damage cards, 3 damage here and there. Sometimes you need probably 4 or 5 combat phases for you to successfully level up silver. But now with the condition being 30, it means that maybe as early as 4 combat phases or even 3, including your opponent, so that makes it easily, you know, during your counter turns you can block here and block there. But then when you add up the math, silver levels, levels up 1 turn earlier. And we all know that 1 turn early is all it takes for you to close out the game. If you were to ask me about silver, I can tell you that Personally, I have been enjoying this champion a lot. I do know that I've not been playing a lot of Legends from Terra lately because I have a lot of things to settle when it comes to the professional side of my life because I'll be opening a business real soon. I'll be talking about it probably next month or so because, you know, this is a Legends from Terra podcast. And my time playing Terra is most probably going to be on a hiatus probably after next season. If I make it to Worlds, then maybe after September, I'll be gone for a short while because I have a lot of things to settle like I said, from my professional side. So for now, I'll still be producing podcasts. I do hope that I can still produce like one episode a week because it really does require me to put in at least around 30 to an hour of research. If I have a guest on, I need to schedule an appropriate time for me to have the conversation with a guest. And if I were to record it myself, I usually do around 30 minutes to an hour research. I would go and look at the new cards. I take a look at the meta. I go through my memory and I try to think about the decks that I face what is happening in the meta before I actually record everything. And as you can tell, usually I record the episode at around the 40 to 45 minutes range. If I have a guest on, it usually goes on about an hour, maybe an hour plus. And then editing here and there, extracting the audio from the clip and doing some refinement, uploading, scheduling the tweets. It takes me around like one hour, 30 minutes to get the overall workflow down. And I can say that compared to other forms of media, Podcasting is definitely one of the better ones because all you gotta do is handle the audio file. You look at YouTube, sometimes some people like to do it very extravagantly. They have like very nice effects. They do it like a very nice Hollywood style production film. And kudos to those people who are able to do that. But when I look at the grand scheme of things for podcasts, there are a lot of things that I really learned from producing Legendary Terra podcasts, especially my Dead Game podcast, which you guys are listening right now. Either you guys are first-time listener, second-time listener, you guys been following me from the start. I'd like to take this time to say thank you once again because I wouldn't be here without you guys. 
And in terms of monetization, I can I'm paid like not that much. I can tell you that this podcast is almost as good as free. But then again, I'm doing it out of my heart, out of my love for playing card games. And rest assured, I'll definitely try to work out a schedule in the future when I have a lot of things to settle on my end. I do definitely want to produce one episode of that game a week. In terms of playing the game, I might not be playing it regularly as now. In fact, when I talk about regularly, right, I only played like three hours this week. When I hit Diamond 4, I just never played at all because I had to settle some renovation on my side, getting some equipment for the things that I'm going to do. And so let's talk about Today's episode, we're going to talk about the Ruination event and the Sentinels of Light. Honestly, when I saw the Ruination cards, the first thing that came to my mind was Viego as a champion seems pretty hard to fulfill for his level condition. It is not a champion that you want to build around with. That's the big mistake which I see people theorycrafting. The only time you can actually build a deck around a champion is where the card itself is a, is a value generator. For example, Aphelios. Heimer, Zoe, Aso. These champions are cards which provide end game, early game, all sort of generation. Basically, it's a jack. Is it? What is it? What's it called? Jack of all trades. Yeah, it's a jack of all trades. It can do anything. It has a good early, mid, late, whatever. Maybe for Aso, the late, the early game is not that great. But just providing Aso means that your entire thirty-seven cards can be something that focus on the early mid game. Aso is undoubtedly the greatest or the best late game champion in the game. And when you look at Viego as a card, I don't think that it is a champion where we'll see a lot of play. Like I always I always say that I might be wrong, but most of the time when I say I might be wrong, I end up being true. So for Viego, I don't think that as a champion it is that great. I will definitely be going more in a deep dive later on in this episode. And as for the uh, Akshan, which is the Sentinel of Light, I believe it's a Shurima 2 mana 2 2 champion. I think it has everything it needs to be a tier 1 card. Because... Let's be honest guys, 2 mana 2-2, two, two, quick attack, with a pretty nice effect, generating a landmark. Poof, this, this card is definitely spicy. And the card that it generates are also not weak, those are good cards. And I have a very big hunch that Shurima will overtake the Masya as the staple region to pair with. More comments on that later on. And so before I talk about the Ruination and Sentinels of Light, I'd like to talk a little bit about the metagame. Like in the beginning of today's episode, I did talk about the silver meta, how it's being paired with a lot of different variations. There's also one deck which uh, got nerfed the last episode that I talked about with uh, Adele from Blacklist International, Legends from Terra Division. Shout out to him by the way. In fact, if you didn't catch last week's episode, I highly recommend you do because it is one episode where he really talked a lot about his experience. Because Adele is like majority of most players. You guys might not be like, how to say super talented you know you put in a lot of time in the game and for Adele I personally seen that he put a lot of time in the game because I knew him from the start from the, his very start as a player which couldn't hit master then he did eventually hit high ranking master he made it to worlds seasonal finishes tournament wins and so if he can do it anyone can because he did mention in the episode that if he can do it anybody can do it all you gotta do is put in hard work because you can't just snap a finger and expect to win tournaments Maybe you are talented, you know. You know how to play the game. You understand the game fundamentally. But sometimes, being talented enough is not enough. You need to put in the work. You need to know certain matchups here and there. But then again, I have seen the evolution of card games from the very beginning. Now we live in an era where if you grind a lot of games, you can definitely win stuff. Last time, there wasn't a lot of like opportunities for you 
to grind games because you actually had to go down and meet someone to play the game. Now with the internet readily available at every single corner of the planet, you can just log on, play the game and eventually you get good because when you look at the current state the world is in, not a lot of people are going out, spending a lot of time at home. And so if you are not learning something, if you are not working or if you are not trying to find ways to build assets, you are most likely going to spend time playing games, be it Valorant, League of Legends, Legends of Runeterra. Because when you look at all the games in the ecosystem now, I can say that Riot has done a very, very good job in ensuring that the majority of people's time spent is being spent on Riot games or the games that Riot has. I know that's a very good pun. And so for Runeterra, the more games you play, you're most likely going to be able to predict what your opponent is going to do. And the open deck list as a format is something which uh, I am not a big fan of because I don't like players knowing what I have in my deck. There is no chance for you to bamboozle your opponent. Everything is so predictable. The player who is most likely top 10 on the ladder. I'm trying to take away that the players over there, they grind a lot of games are very talented. We are sure, they have a high degree of skill. But they reach that point because they more or less can predict everything that their opponent is going to do. As a result, you usually see the same players usually at the top of the ladder. They spend a lot of time playing the game. They know the matchups in and out. They can almost predict what your opponent is going to do. They know the mulligans. They can just refer to websites. And that's why I say that digital card games and physical card games are really two different ball games. Physical card games, you have to memorize what your opponent has. Because there are some card effects where you have to memorize what your opponent has. And then as for digital, you can just screenshot and maybe refer to it later. And the advent of open deck list means that your opponent has no chance of surprising you with a tech card. And that is one concern that I have, especially when it comes to the professional scene. And so speaking of one card, I really go on a, I really went on <laughs> a whole detour. Yes, that's what that was one deck which I which as uh, Adele mentioned, which I also agree is terrorizing the ladder. It is the one deck where I remember I was hyping it a lot around four to six months ago. It's not other than Lissandra plus Talia, also known as Trolls or the Turbo Trolls. I always knew that Lissandra and, Tra- Lissandra and Talia will make a very strong combina- combination because of the way that the trials work. It took a lot of trials and tribulations for the ultimate build of it to come out. I do believe that the current version of trials, the version which a lot of players are running, I do not need to link deck this because you most likely have already faced it on the ladder. I remember experimenting with this deck around 4 months ago. I can't remember the expansion that the combination came out, but I did experimented with it. I think 6 months ago. Yeah, six months ago was when I really experimented with uh, Shurima together with this combination. I really enjoyed the combination, even though it wasn't very, very meta-ish at the time. Slowly, we had a Clockwork Curator. We had a, an Ancient Preparation, Ancient Preparation, or the Advanced Landmark one. Slowly, all these cards were being released, and the Trials package got better over time. Even though we have new cards being released with the uh, Rise of the Underworlds, none of these cards are being featured in Trials because the finalized build or the current build of it, it is perfect. It is perfect. Especially when you draw Frozen Trial on turn 1 and you have Clockwork Creator followed up by, uh, what's it called? Uh, predicted Destiny or Predicted Outcome, the card which gives you the double trigger in your landmark, you are more or less going to just end the opponent just there and there. And we all know that Lissandra got hit Actually, not really Lissandra. The Watcher got hit. And the archetype known as Lissandra Trundle... It's not Lissandra Trundle. Ah, Lissandra Trundle got hit. The deck is no longer viable because the main win condition was leveling up Lissandra and then using Matron to copy it and just ending the game there and there. And now with the nerf to it, 
to 5 8 cores together with your opponent will be left 3 cards in the deck if I'm not mistaken. The entire concept of Lissandra Trundle is no longer tier 1. I can say it's still playable tier 3 or tier 4. But when you look at Turbo Trials, right, they are not reliant on the Watcher to end the game. Like, sure, you can have it on the board, but most likely your trials on the board are enough to just end the game because they have Overwhelm, 8 damage, and they come down as early as turn 4 or even turn 5. And that's the issue on its own. Lissandra wasn't hit, but the Watcher was. I always thought that Watcher was the problem. But now with trials existing in the meta, maybe Lissandra's armor or nexus together with the eye shards is the problem after all. I don't know that Lissandra as a card, like I mentioned, is the sort of champion where you beat your decks around. This was probably like 12 episodes ago. I said that Lissandra as a champion is everything you need. The early, mid, late game. It has armor. One damage doesn't do anything to it. You can't even scratch Lissandra. It levels up and the game is almost over because you're dealing one damage every turn to everything. And your armor on Nexus means that you're not going to take the one damage. Sure, maybe your minions get damaged, but that's about it. And now with Trials being ex being like tier 1 in the meta, a lot of decks are not exactly playable. I do know that aggro is a good time. Maybe some form of silver is a good time. But Trials is Trials. I believe that Lissandra as a champion is probably the most problematic thing in the game right now. Looking in the future, especially with mid-range decks existing, going to exist again, I think that Trials is going to be the be-all and all, the strongest deck in the game. That's my prediction going into uh, this current meta. I don't know that Rise of the Underworlds is, oh, has been out for maybe just one week at this point. Two weeks? Yeah, two weeks. And the meta is shaping up to be more of a mid-rangey one, together with Trials being at the forefront. I don't know if Silver is great, but really when you look at it, Trials is really just on a whole new level. Not a lot of decks can really beat that kind of uh, you know, late-game which happens during the mid-game. It really reminds me of Druid in uh, Hearthstone. And the final archetype, which is now that they lurk together with aggro, I think that lurk, right, has one very big problem, and that is Death From Below. I think Death From Below is the one card that's really carrying lurk all the way to the next level. Like, sure, okay, turn 1, you can lurk. Turn 2, you can do the snap jaw swarm, and then you lurk again. On turn 3, you can lurk again to get Sir Caller. But the, the one card which really nails it all is Death From Below, guys. Because the issue is that the the destruction or the damage you dealt, damage you deal, right? After that, then, then Pike is summoned. If Pike is summoned first, followed by Death From Below doing the damage, then maybe it's not that great. But the thing is that Death From Below is a sort of card where even if you try to do some fighting trick, Pike is still going to be summoned to the field. I do know that Pike's level up is quite hard to hit. And the effect is, you know, it's rewarding. You clear one thing, you clear everything. Sure, I'm, I'm fine with that. But the thing is that Death From Below is, can be a little bit too strong. And it's definitely one of the cards where I expect to get hit in the near future. Because 4 mana for Death From Below is... Maybe it's justified. But we do really have to let the meta stabilize and evolve over time. Because eventually Death From Below will be the one thing which uh, will become super problematic. In fact, I really have a mental note where Death From Below is going to get hit in the near future, but not now because Riot wants players to start playing Royal Lurk instead of other archetypes. Because if you were to revolve the whole deck only with two champions, Rek'Sai and Pike, nothing one will make the whole deck weak. And I don't see a nerf for Death From Below anytime within the next, within the current meta and the next one. And the other and the other deck we suddenly see saw resurgence other than Pirate Aggro. I think Pirate Aggro has always been a strong staple in the meta. 
Maybe not so much the last one. But now it's really picked up because of the buff to make it rain. I think the buff to make it rain has made a lot of uh, Bilge Water decks extremely viable, especially Swain Twister Fate. But as a card, I think make it rain at 2 is too strong. I never liked the unnerf to it. I think that 3 mana is very fair. Because of the way make it rain is is uh, designed. I really do want to see make it rain back to 3 mana. Because it is a sort of card where... Bilge Water has always this randomness to it. And make it rain really makes this randomness pay off. Because that one damage, right, if you buff it together with the Kex, is 2. And that is enough to mitigate a lot of decks early game. And no deck should be able to deal with 3 creatures, hypothetically, on turn 2, or with 2 spell mana. And that's why I always say that Make It Rain has always, has always needed to be a 3 mana. 2 mana is just too, too fair already. And yeah, that's about it. That's all about the meta I'm going to talk about now. So let's talk about the Ruin Nation event together with Sentinels of Light. First champion that I'm going to talk about. The first card, Viego. I know a lot of players are very hyped when they think about Viego, the vi viability of it. I can honestly tell you that I don't think that it is a very viable card because of the way that it's required for you to level up. The one big thing I don't like about this card is that it's 5 costs, which means that it has to be on the board to view everything get destroyed. Encroaching Mist is great, but the problem is that Encroaching Mist consistently being summoned to the field is going to be delayed until turn 5, which is when Viego's on the board. And Viego needs to see things getting destroyed before it gets leveled up. And to be fair, the level up condition, the level up is death sentence. It's almost as good as game. Because you can just, at the start of the turn, you destroy an enemy champion or you steal something. And a lot of decks are very minion-centric. If they're not minion-centric, they are, they are champion-centric. There are no decks which just purely rely on spells other than Hymervine. And that's why I can say that when it comes to Viego, right, the leveling up is already a problem. And therefore, I don't think that you can ever build a deck revolving around Viego. I do know some players will experiment and find ways to make it work because it is the mascot of the uh, Ruination event. I've seen some comments of players saying that it can be paired together with Ephemeral, maybe with Miss Raves. But based on my understanding, if you're going to play Miss Raves, if you're going to play Ephemeral, right, you might as well just play the uh, Hecarim version or you can just play you know, Miss Raves with Kalista. That's probably the better, best version already. There is no better version than that. Adding Viego just as in 3 copies of a card where its champion spell is also not that great. And I can really see this uh, Viego thing being swept to the wayside. But then again, players will find a way to make it work. But then, it is something where I don't think it is of any concern. Because there are a lot of cards that are being released with Viego, especially the, uh, the alternate art Shivana with a bunch of corrupted dragons. I am, for one, not very, you know, wowed by the champions or even the cards from the from the side of the, the Ruination, the Ruination side. Because the expansion comes in two, right? It comes in Sentinels of Light and the Ruination part. When I see Viego, right, and the Encroaching Shadows, right, it doesn't really give me a very, very strong bias towards it. I don't think that this card is great. Leveling up is really an issue. Turn 5 onwards to level up. You know what, just forget about it. Even Karma is the better late game than Viego as a champion. And the other champion is Akshan. In the beginning of the podcast, I did say that Akshan is undoubtedly the best two-drop champion I've seen since Lucian. I think that Akshan, right, together with Quick Attack, is a better Lucian. Because it gives you a landmark. And that landmark gives you cups where... Whoa, guys. 
it's really on a whole new level. Let me just check out the card again. Let me just go to Mobilitics. I did save the thing on my... Uh, yeah, I did save it. It is the... You get a Warlord's Palace, which is a countdown 8. You create a Relic of Power in hand. When you target allies, advance me 1. You look at the way that uh, Warlord's Palace is being built. It is a very simple landmark to fulfill. And the best part is that you don't even need to run landmarks in your deck. You just need to run Akshan, and you come with the package of Relic of Power, which is the moment Warlord's Palace is fulfilled. And Relic of Power is pretty good, man. When you trigger Relic of Power, right, is when Akshan levels up. And then you get to pick one, predict, then draw one. Which is time in the bottle at zero mana. Which is, wow, great. Summon a standstone charger or grant all allies plus one plus zero. So, when you think about it, right, Akshan becomes a two mana tree tree when you level up. And together with grant all allies plus one plus zero, he becomes a two mana four tree. As early as maybe turn four or turn five. And then together with Warlock's Horde on the board, you can either advance it or either summon one. The thing about Warlord's Horde, right, is the sort of card where it might not be able to level up in time because maybe your game has already ended by then. But there's a lot of ways for you to, you know, play around with Warlock's Horde, fulfill it, and get the Sentinel's Horde. And Sentinel's Horde, by the way, is poof. This card is probably very strong to fulfill. And when you think about Shurima, right, and the regions that you can pair with, you can play with... Uh, Ionia, which is the current version of Silver Z. I can see uh, Silver being paired with Akshan with the same way that Silver Ionia is played. You can easily fulfill Warlord's Palace, you can easily fulfill Warlord's Hot. And Sentinel's Hot is crazy. Especially with the Shield of the Sentinels. Grind your champions everywhere spell shield and plus two plus two. This is like laps in the form of a ranked game, guys. And the thing is that I do believe that Akshan will definitely be a tier one champion. Because the thing is that 2 mana 2 2, quick attack, with a generate landmark, and the landmark itself is bonkers. The level 1 and the level 2 version, which is the Warlord's Palace and the Warlord's Hot. This champion, right, will hands down carry the entire meta. And I'm glad that they didn't release 2 champions which totally polarize everything. Uh, Viego is a nice design, but it's not going to be meta defining. But Akshan on the other hand, guys, Akshan is... Oh my gosh. Okay. I honestly think that Akshan is the new Aphelios. This card is going to revolutionize the whole meta. Based on what I see. Because the quick attack on a 2-2 means that it can deal with anything and it's a guaranteed 2 damage or a guaranteed uh, advanced 1. If you want to call it. And you were to target something, you can, what, uh, Twin Disciples, you can Barrier if in some cases, Spirit's Refuge. You can do something like, uh, like I can't really recall the buff cards, but you get what I mean. The fulfilling on, and the level up of the Warlord's Palace is so easy to fulfill, man. And there are a lot of cards in the Sentinel side which are way stronger than the Ruination side. That's what I can really say, guys. And I remember my first impression when I saw Akshan, Akshan was, I never seen this card in League of Legends. And I just found out that, yeah, Akshan is being released simultaneously in League of Legends and Runeterra at the same time. So my prediction for the two champions is that Viego might find some way to work because the level up is tough. But the moment you level up Viego, the game is almost over. Because it just steals or it just kills the strongest champion, whatever you call it. Level up is going to be a problem. But Akshan on the other hand is so much value. It is like a Filios in Shurima form. And I can see this guy getting nerfed. But the thing is that it's so balanced as a champion where yeah, it's just so good. It is not as overpowered as Ophelios. It's not as it's, it's the next Zoe, guys. Akshan is the next Zoe. Because 
everything that the cards that it generates, right, is able to give you so much value. The quick attack, the two drop, two drop, guys, two drop, two drop quick attack. The landmark being on the field, free. You don't even need to play the landmark. It's just part of the ch champion's kit. Okay, guys, Akshan is gonna revolutionize the whole meta. And so let's just cover the ruin, the, the ruination cards, and then we go over to the uh, Sentinels of Light part. I, I've already take a look at a lot of the uh, cards in the Ruination pool. Charming Swarm, Rhyme Fang, Dan Mother, Caldedrine the Ruin, Ruin Rex. And from the very first few cards being released, right, I can tell you that Caldedrine the Ruin, the Dragon card, the 6 mana 6-6 six, six, Fury, when you play it, you grant an allied champion or dragon challenger. Guys, Kill the Green is the 6th drop that the Marcia has been missing for a very long time. Because before Kill the Green, right, the only 6 drop in the Marcia where it actually mattered was Sitia the Bolt. And now with Kill the Green existing and dragons sort of taking a backseat now because, you know, Lurk just destroys dragons. The 1 mana card can cause like 6 damage, 1, attack, one life. But let's not talk about it. I'm kind of disappointed. Kill the Green is... Kind of busted, man. 6 mana, 6-6. Six, six. Granting an allied champion or dragon challenger. I don't know if some players don't think it's that great because the Marcia is kind of... Uh, what's the word for it? It's kind of curvy. That means you have to play things on curve. But Kudujin is everything you want in 6 drop. 6-6-6. Six, six, six. Wow, that sounds like a number of the beast, right? <laughs> Whatever you call it. And the Marcia. It is the ultimate the Marcia staple now. 6 mana, 6-6. Six, six. The ability to give challenger to an allied champion is huge. You can give it to stuff like Shivana. I don't know that Confront got buffed, but I do think that Kildredrine is great. Kildredrine together with like Aso, you buff it up, you give it a challenger. You can give it to Eclipse Dragon, you can give it to... Yeah, maybe uh, apart from all that cards, maybe the entire build would just be triple Shivana, triple Screeching Dragon, triple Kildredrine, and you don't even need to run Shivana at that point. Wait, do you even need Aso at that point? Aso and Eclipse. I do believe that Kyojin will find a hard time being fit into the deck, but it's a very good curve on card. The big problem now that I listed out everything and I actually started to think is that Kyojin is a good card, but, 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 the lack of dragons in the deck. If you play too many dragons, right, the whole deck just sorts of fizzles and it doesn't really work that well. Maybe, maybe, maybe we will see a, uh, what's the card called? The 5 mana 5 5 spell shoe dragon being included and then you might want to play Kyojin. I got a feeling that the Shivana plus Zoe version might be better now. Now that I think about it. Because Kyojin can just be a full-on mid-range target the Marcia without relying on ASO's late game. But the problem with Kyojin now that I realize is that a lot, a lot of decks run... The, the dragons that they run already have Challenger in build, Screeching Dragon, maybe Shivana with Confront attached to it. But in terms of stat-wise, I think Kyojin is the one card which you really have to watch out for. And there's another card which I also looked at. I, I take a look at the Noxious cards. Despair is just... Pick a unit, strike your Nexus, then kill it. Uh, this is odd. I don't think Despair is great. You can use it on your opponent's minion though, to strike your Nexus. But you're sort of like committing Harakiri. Which is not good. Oh, Ruin Reckoner, man. 4 mana, 4 tree. Noxious card. When I'm summoned, create a Midnight Raid in hand. You guys are not aware what Midnight Raid does, right? It is your an ally starts a free attack. And this is I would say the best ruination card coming out from Noxious. Because there's really not a lot of great things for, for Noxious here. And the thing about Midnight Raid is that you can easily start a free attack with a quick attack minion. 
And this is really a huge buff for, for those silver decks already. As silver is really in such a good spot. And Ruin Reckoner right, is the 4-drop which... Uh, I do know that it fights with silver for the 4-drop thing. But together you pair the free attack together with silver right, is game-breaking. And that's why I think that Ruin Reckoner right, will find a lot of space in that deck. And let's not forget that Ruin Reckoner can be played in uh, everyone's favourite deck, Draven Azrael. You can use Midnight Raid, have Draven attack, and you consider it as a target. Actually, the target? And the ally starts a free attack. No, it doesn't count as a target. But the thing is that you can use it, and then your silver attack, your Draven attack, get an extra X. And it curves really well because it's 4 mana, 4 tree, and it's a noxious card. I can really see this being added into like aggro lists because in terms of stats-wise, with the effect, it is just great. It's just super good for a Noxious card, which really, Noxious is lacking. And the other card is Defective Swordbot. I think Defective Swordbot has a really interesting and good effect. Because it's a 4 mana 4 tree, not a PNZ. PNZ, play, swap my stats with another unit. I can see this being paired together with those token cards which generates all the 1-1s. Because when you think about PNZ's identity, it really tries to leverage on a lot of those one drops to actually, you know, cycle it. And those token creatures, you swap it, you get the stats. But the thing is that you swap the stats, right? Then swap board just becomes a form and I use this card. But now that I think about it, it really does serve a little bit of purpose. But who knows, maybe some players will try to find it work. Kamavoran Dragon, on the other hand, it is not great. I don't like it. Ruin Dragon Guard is just average. I was initially quite quite uh, on a hype train for it, but now that I think about it, right, due to so many curve cards, right, if you run all these curve cards in the master decks, right, and most you're gonna want the same package: triple single combat, triple concerted strike, triple sharp side, and your whole deck just becomes a bunch of very predictable minions. And so I think for a three drop ruin dragon guard might not see play, cause players might actually prefer having what's the card called, uh, Lauren Prodigy or even Solar Priestess in it. And when I look at the other cards or the Ruination side, nothing really catches my my attention. But but on the Sentinel side, that's a whole different story, guys. The Sentinel cards, right, together with the Shurima package, right, this is the everything that Shurima is lacking and what it needs. There's so many great cards here. The first one, Vicarian Safecracker. 4 mana, 4, 4. Play. Give an ally plus 2, plus 0. To give an enemy minus two minus zero this round. Okay, guys, this is a bad joke. This is a very very bad joke. Four mana four four. Such an amazing effect. You gotta be kidding me, right? You can easily buff out your quick attack minion, give it a plus two plus zero, and then minus two from your opponent's side. It is basically a troll charm in with very good stats. Four mana four four with such amazing effect, guys. It's time to unnerve lawyer badger bear man. Vokorian Safecracker is, hands down, I think, the best Shurima card out of all the cards that I've seen from the Sentinel side, apart from Akshan. Because when I think of Vokorian Safecracker, right, it is so powerful in Overwhelmed Shurima. It's busted in Overwhelmed Shurima. I'm not even kidding. And you think about it together with a uh, Silver Dex, it's also incredibly busted. So after Thursday, right, you'll probably see a lot of players just spamming Silver all the way. Shurima used to be the Empress package, the Empress deck, but now with the Azir Irela being nerfed to the nerfed to the gutter, I do think the Azir Irela is tier 1. Players want to fight me and say it's not, but really guys, Azir Irela is just too powerful. Still too powerful. Vakurian Safecracker gives Overwhelmed Shurima, gives Silver deck 
such a powerful leverage. Because the thing about Sivir is that it has a low life. Maybe your opponent tries to bamboozle you and throw Chan instead, or maybe try to buff out his health, then, then you can counter and attack and destroy Sivir. But now if the current say cracker, it means that almost nothing is safe. And together with Sivir on the board, 4 mana 4 4, together with a 4 mana 5 3, which becomes a 4 mana 7 3. That's such an incredible board state that no deck can come back from. And the spell shield on Sivir is already a whole new another level. And together with the with the level condition being reduced by 5, okay, this is has to be some form of some form of like. Yeah, it's just a silver meta. I don't see a way silver gets nerfed because the card is so balanced. I, I do know players are screaming that silver is too strong, but really, you guys should be screaming that last season, not now. Because silver as a card, right, is very balanced. I can't find a fault with it. It has very low life. Like maybe the first attack you can't really deal with it. You can block, chum block, and yeah, but the moment it levels up, it's just game over. And so another card is a current bruiser. When you strike, you create a lucky fine hand. I don't think this card is as good as Profiteer, but it's one card which I really included in the list because it's a 5 mana 5-5. Five five. It's solid stats, man. It's not as good as your other 5 mana 5-5, five five, such as, uh, what's the card called? Uh, the Solari Commander thing, the one that gives you Daybreak all the time. But guys, it's a strike, create a lucky fine. It means it gives you free keywords or do whatever you're playing. And Shurima is such a strong keyword deck. But the big issue I find with Kirin Bruiser is the ability to pair together with Ruin Runner. Because Ruin Runner is also another great card which is a 5 mana 6-4. And really competing for the 5 mana slot. And that's why I believe that maybe there's gonna be a time where Kirin Bruiser might not actually see play, even though it's such a powerful card. And therefore, but the strike create a lucky find is something which really intrigues me. Free keywords, such a solid stat line, 5 mana 5-5. Five five. Not a lot of creatures can survive this. And it really adds to your reputation stack. And I'm really looking at Akshan's uh, champion spell, which is Grappling Hook. It looks pretty okay. It's a 3 mana slow, an ally you targeted this round strikes an ally. Okay, this really right, is signaling a, a silver domination. Because when you think about targeting, right, an ally you targeted, it means that you need to buff something of yours, which is lucky fine, basically. And then you can Grappling Hook and strike an enemy, which is a free single combat. Or isn't is even a free bone skewer without the negative effects. And I can really see Akshan being in it, not even needing the grappling hook because his champion spell gives it. It gives such a strong leverage with silver because you can just strike something. You have spell shield on it, bro. How are you gonna deal with a spell shield? And now that thing's gonna strike you for free and fulfill his level condition. Basically, the entire Sentinel kit, right, is the extension of a silver domination meta. The absorber also. Give an ally plus two plus one this round. If you level a champion this game, create an Absolver's Return in hand. Guys, all signs are pointing towards a Seaver meta. It's all signs are pointing towards the return of Seaver. Or oh, Seaver's really here, right? Yeah, it, all signs are pointing towards the return of one thing. You guys want to guess what's the one thing? I've seen so many cards now. I've seen the Sentinel, I've seen the Ruination. But guys, make a guess. What is the return of the one deck which is going to dominate everything? Make a guess. Okay, let me tell you what's going to return. This is going to be the return of Frostbite Midrange back to tier 1 again. I'm not kidding. Midrange meta. There is nothing that beats Midrange other than Frostbite. I do know there are certain you know, versions of Frostbite included in the game such as the... Uh, what, what's, the what's that version called? The one with a... Abominal Yeti. There are some versions that run like the pure Yeti version. There are some versions that run the... Uh, you no know, Legion... Is it Reckoner? Is it, what's the card called? 
real guard lead. Yeah, you basically get it. The 3 mana 3-2. Three the one oh, strength in numbers summon 2 3 3 mana 3 3 mana 3 twos, and then you slowly 1 plus 1 plus 1. But really the build is fine. All versions of Ash Ash is fine. I think Frostbite Rearrange is interchangeable. You can either run like the Yeti package, you can run the Marauder, ah, Marauder, Legion Marauder. Yeah, I just call it. I just remembered the Marauder version. And yes, guys, all signs are pointing towards a Frostbite mid-range meta again. With Ezreal Karma in the pool. And I really don't think that Ezreal Karma is that great because the kit is very outdated. And so with mid-range being in the forefront again, Swing Twister Fate is going to be the counter to Frostbite mid-range. And we're really going one full circle. The entire meta is now back to whatever happened a year ago. It's going to be deep at the forefront. Ezreal Karma at the forefront. The Master not so much because of Frostbite mid-range. And then other mid-range decks like Silver or that. There's such a good time against every other mid-range deck because of the quick attack and spell shield combination. And now that I think about it, maybe aggro and mid- it's going to be an aggro mid-range meta. Because control decks with the extinction of TLC... There's not a lot of control decks that can really dominate. Nasus Trash is still the Dark Horse. It checks mid-range decks so well. It checks aggro decks well because of its early game. But the big issue with Nasus Trash now is that if Frostbite were to become tier 1, it's going to be an incredibly tough fight for Nasus Trash to actually stay relevant because Frostbite really answers Nasus. And together with the... What's that card? What's that? The combination of the Fearsome being removed it's going to be really a tough kick for Nasus to stay on top. But really, the only reason why Nasus is still in the pool is because it checks Pirate Aggro, it checks Discard Aggro, it checks Azir Irelia in terms of other mid-range decks. Because, you know, Targon is out of the pool. The Masia, I mean, Dragons is no longer sort of playable because of Luck. And when you think about it, right, Nasus Trash has the tools to deal with Luck, the tools to deal with mid-range, the tools to deal with Aggro. And so my hot take is Trolls, Nasus Trash, Frostbite, and some Akshan Silver deck. Basically, these four decks are going to dominate. Silver, Nasus Trash, Trolls, and finally Frostbite. These four decks are going to be probably the thing that's going to dominate until the next patch, which is August. And Aggro as a deck, I think Make It Rain needs a nerf. I know players are going to flame me for this, but really guys, trust me on this. I think that Make It Rain is crazy. The, the 2 mana buff is not needed. It needs to be back at 3. And that's probably all I have for today. I did mention that I want to talk a little bit about what I'm going to do after August, but I think let's just save it for the for probably in the August episode. In fact, I barely got a lot of time to play Runeterra. I try to squeeze in as much time as possible because my business is going to be starting in August. I really want to end, like, play Runeterra, have a good time. Probably my last season. In terms of whether I'll be back, I'll probably be back sometime next year. The podcast will carry on. I'll still find some time to play the game here and there. Because I do enjoy playing this game. In fact, I've been really back to collecting Pokemon cards again. In fact, I, I never collected Pokemon cards. Let's just say I'm back to collecting physical cards again. So if you guys have Pokemon cards, especially OCG format. I don't even think call it OCG. Okay, let's just call it the Japanese... Pokemon cards, do hit me up man, because I'm currently trying to find the EV Heroes booster box. As for the TCG side, I'm not really keen on the stuff because I can just go to my nearby Pokemon Center and just go and get myself a couple of Champion's Buff and Shining Fates and I'm pretty much good to go because everything else is not that great to be honest. 
And yes, guys, if you guys really have a way for me to get my hands on EV heroes or maybe uh, Shiny Starvy, do hit me up on Discord because I really want to find them. And that's all I have for today, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode when I really deep dive into the meta, ruination, sentence of light. I'll catch you guys on the next episode. And that's game.